And so we had been wrestling with God, what are, what are you, where are you pushing us towards? You know, are you pushing us to, to leave and to do something else, um, to leave this, to leave the farming and do something else? Or are you just wanting us to endure? From Fiori Communications, it's How I Got Here, a show of inspiring stories from Tallahassee area leaders, business owners, and neighbors, all the challenges, opportunities, inspirations, the twists and turns of life that led them to where they are today. Everyone has a story worth telling, and I am really grateful that we get to bring a few of them to you. I truly have been changed by my conversations with these amazing people, and I'm confident you will be too. I'm Dave Fiore, and in this episode, I speak with Stephen Fulford, a Monticello native, husband, father, and a sixth-generation North Floridian. He is also currently a Jefferson County commissioner who stuck by a tough 2019 decision in favor of economic development that cost him most of the land his family has been farming for three generations. When we recorded this episode, Stephen was still in the middle of this major and unexpected life transition but his faith remains strong that God has a plan for his family. It just hasn't fully been revealed yet. We started by talking about his extensive local family history in the early years on the farm. So you are a sixth-generation North Floridian, right? Yeah. Um, that's a lot of great-greats in is. there. It is. It is. What year does that make it that they ended up in this area? Um, the first record I have um, is 1845. That's when my third great grandfather um, actually got married, and we have a marriage record. Um, he got married in Jefferson County. He had been born in Georgia, and then so at some point in that period, he moved to Florida. Got married in 1845. Fought in the <clears throat> Seminole, some of the Indian Wars, right? Um, and then was part of the Civil War. That's a long time. It's not. I don't know though. A lot of people around have that kind of lineage here in this part of the state. Yeah, um, and it's been interesting to find, for some reason, with uh, my Fulford side, um, I've been able to find a lot of the history and a lot of the records. Um, but for a lot of my other family genealogy, you know, runs back, I can find a couple of generations, and then that's it. Do you know? Do you know what brought them here? I mean, why they came to this area? It would have been opportunity. Um, you know, they. Our, the Fulfords, all the Fulfords came into the U.S. in North Carolina um, from England. There uh, is actually a manor house, Great Fulford, um, in England that's actually still occupied by a Fulford. Um, it's one of the only la- manor houses in England that's still occupied by the original family. Um, and so, so by like manor house, we're talking like Downton Abbey kind yes, of place. Okay. It is, and uh, we actually toured it a couple years ago in 2018. Wow. We went over there and had a, even had reality TV shows about them. The name of their reality TV show was the Effing Fulfords. <laughs> so <laughs> they had quite so that, a that gives a little bit of a clue right? an, into what their heritage was. But you were born and grew up in Jefferson County. So I was born and grew up in Jefferson County. Right. And um, so tell me about your family growing up, your parents, siblings. Mm-hmm. What was your family life like? In, uh, well, we in lived and uh, I came home um, from the hospital, was actually born in Thomasville, came home from the hospital to 
the only house that I ever lived in as a kid. So it was the only house I ever knew. Um, and we lived in what my dad has always referred to as the Fulford Quarter. Okay. Um, so it was uh, my grandfather had moved out, had been born in Monticello. Um, and then when he got out of World War II, he came home and with his brothers bought a piece of land um, about seven miles from Monticello. And that's the house that my my dad was born in and grew up in. My dad and uncle both built a house right next door. That's where I grew up. And then that's where, you know, we've built a house. And so we were, and uh, my cousin lives right there. So we're, we've got, you know, five houses in that little quarter mile spot. And so that's the Fulford Quarter. Right. <laughs> you know, worked with family, you know, worked, my grandfather farmed and um, my dad and uncle farmed with him for forever. And, um, and then my cousin, he farmed with them forever. And so, you know, it was always, you know, a family affair and working together. And right. Did you have so siblings? I have an older sister, went to FSU and got married and moved to Mississippi and pretty soon after college. And that's where she's been. So you were raised on a family farm. Yep. Right. So what was that like for you as a kid? Were you doing chores from the time you can remember? Is it kind of a stereotypical... Um, I don't milk know. the cows and bale some hay. Or? No, I, I you know I don't think we've had a stereotypical the the stereotypical farm hasn't existed for probably sixty or seventy years. I think um, you know my dad grew up more probably it was a more stereotypical farm when my dad grew up as far as you know they had livestock and uh, you know milked cow and chickens and pigs and everything right. much more of a not just a job but also a sustenance you know much more just a that's that was their livelihood right um but by the time i grew up you know and was raised you know i remember we had some cattle as you know we would buy just some steers buy a group a herd of steers and feed them for the winter and then sell them and that was my experience and we only did that when i was young um so pretty much my entire Growing up, we were just a row crop farm, and so we we produced we grew peanuts, corn, and soybeans. Essentially, when I was a kid, uh, added cotton when I was you know graduated eighteen. Our our big thing that we became known for was growing green peanuts. We grew a special what we call Valencia type, which is what we kind of trained North Florida to eat as a boiled peanut. Um, my grandfather started that for some you know. Green peanuts and boiling peanuts um, had a long history in Jefferson County and Monticello. There were several people that would produce them and sell them, and I'll run into people that grew up there that, you know, oh, I used to sell sell boiled peanuts for your granddad. But, you know, that's how he started the farm. He basically, they would get up, they'd boil um, peanuts, they'd get up at 3 in the morning, put peanuts on to boil and boil them and then bag them up, and then they'd bring them to Tallahassee and they'd peddle them. Um, You know, my granddaddy always told a story of, you know, even going into the Capitol, you know, into the governor's office and the governor telling him, you know, Mr. Fulford, if you come in here and I'm not in here, my 10 cents is in the ashtray and leave my (laughs) bag of peanuts. Um, So what makes a green peanut? What's so we pick the green peanuts um, fresh, you know, normal, most peanuts um, that are going to go into peanut butter and planters and snicker bars and everything are a dry peanut where they're. They're dug out of the ground, and then they're allowed to dry on the surface um, to a low moisture, like a crunchy nut. Um, the green peanuts are going to be, we dig them right out of the soil, and we harvest them immediately. So they're fresh, and they're wet, and they're green, and their only purpose is for boiling. 
Um, so you boil and then just boil them and eat them. So that's where our fam the farm started, and so that was kind of always our niche. Um, we grew the green peanuts. You know, I've we have an article from the Miami Herald um, talking about our my grandfather's green peanut industry. You know, and the, the stuff that credited him with even starting green peanuts as an industry. Because boiled peanuts is kind of an acquired taste, right? I mean, well, I don't for the for a southerner, it's a born taste. For <laughs> someone who hasn't grown up with them, it's I think yeah, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> so we did that for a long time. You know, now ultimately, unfortunately, we're still we're only a marginal player um, in the green peanuts, and uh, but uh, that was always you know the big thing. You know. The peanut days and growing up and everybody that was what we did that day was peanuts you know and so because we harvested them because um, they're so back then what did harvesting them mean was well it? my whole life um, they've been machine harvested so in dug out of the ground with one piece of equipment because harvesting peanuts is a two-stage pro- process one machine digs them out of the ground and pulls them up and then another machine is the harvester the combine that threshes them and separates the nuts from the, the vine. So when you're doing that for the green ones, they're full of dirt because they're wet. It's in the morning first thing. So we harvest them with the combine and then put them on a wagon and we'd bring them to the house. Um, and, you know, when I was little, it was a series of about 10 guys. And my dad, you know, my grandfather would sit there with a giant grain bin fan, which is a high velocity fan. And he'd blow them out. He'd open up the wagon and he'd run them out a little bit at a time um, with this fan blowing on them to blow out as much of the leaves and trash and stuff that he could get. And he'd just fill them into wash tubs, big wash tubs. And then one of the guys would grab the wash tub and pull it over and they'd throw it up on a bench, fill it up with water and just sit there with their arm and just wash them, stick their arm down in there and just wash the dirt off and then shovel them out into a hopper, into a basket, and then pour them up into a bag. We were always the red bags. That's what was... uh, that's how we were recognized because everybody else put them in boxes and we put them in bags. Right. So um, eventually that whole, even the hand washing aspect, we replaced it. Uh, my dad kind of engineered this whole system and custom built with conveyors and um, old peanut pickers that had been dismantled to just function, just one aspect of their function to help clean them, get leaves and stems and sticks out, and then a washing machine that rotated them and washed them and then grading belts with so we replaced bagging them by hand and washing them by hand within just several people on a conveyor line picking out anything that was undesirable okay. um, and then bagging them so bagging them up in one bushel bags and loading them up on a truck and hauling them off to produce markets and we supplied most of the <clears throat> produce markets around Tallahassee Valdosta yeah. um, so as a kid, that was your role in so helping a, was the That's right. As a kid, it peanuts. was, you know, $5 a wagon up in the trailer, shoveling them out of the wagon. So that's what my what my granddad paid us. And then other than that, you know, it was learning to drive at a young age. I tell my kids, I tell them the story of how I wrecked my dad's truck when I was 10 years old. My dad taught me to drive because it was always a need to have somebody driving a truck so that he could move a tractor. And so, you know, I was driving his truck and pulling a wagon and, was going down a dirt road and it was always on a dirt road. I was never on a pay, on a highway driving. Um, driving down the dirt road and it started raining. It was a clay road. The road was already slick and wet. And I went to turn the windshield wipers on and I hit the blinker and I panicked and I stepped <laughs> on the brake. And when I stepped on the brake, the whole truck just slid into the ditch. Oh. And the trailer went into the side of the truck and tore up the back back of the truck and took out a mailbox and 
you did a good job. I did a good job. And so, and but I tell my kids, and I'm there, they're like, what? You were 10? And of course, I told my seven-year-old and when, that I learned to drive when I was 10, yeah. and he thought that meant that I was like driving myself to school and everything. I was like, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah, my, uh, my grandfather had a farm in Indiana, and one time he was, we were in the fields, and I was with him, and he needed to jump on the tractor, and he said, can you drive the truck? I was like, probably 14, mm-hmm. 15, he said, can you drive the truck down the hill into the barn? I'm like, sure I can. I've never <laughs> driven anything in my life. And uh, I made it down there, but I just remember how stupid. I like turned the rear view mirror so mm-hmm. I could see myself driving because I was so excited. <laughs> I wanted to see myself yeah. turning the wheel and stuff. And <clears throat> and I uh, I, w- I just went so slow, I couldn't really mess up. So right, I, I made right. it in. Of course, you didn't live far from Tallahassee. Did mm-hmm. you come into town a lot as a kid? Oh, yeah. I mean, well... We did um, either Tallahassee or Thomasville. You know, Monticello doesn't hasn't doesn't offer a whole lot. What was Monticello like in the eighties? Is it? My guess is it's not a lot different than it is now. It, but. It's not. Um, you know, the eighties. As a kid, you know, there were still more of the holdovers of um, because the economy in Monticello and Jefferson County has just changed tremendously in the last forty years. Um, really, from a farm economy to just a migratory economy. I mean, 60% of our people leave the county to go to work now. Mm. So, you know, when as in the 80s, I think, you know, you had a lot of holdovers. You still had some of the remainder of those businesses that were used to supporting, you know, a local economy. You know, you had two hardware stores right next to each other, you right. know, and uh, but, you know, old, I remember um, our downtown area, it's like, you know, we still had a department store. Um, where I got my first pair of work boots, my full, first pair of Wolverine work boots as a kid. Yeah. And Do you remember what, what store was it? <clears throat> it was called Braswell's. Okay. You know, then we had an Edfield's hardware, and then we had an Ace hardware right next door, and then there was an old uh, the Devane's furniture store across the street. And um, I think the only thing that is still operating um, is the barber shop. So in high school, you went to Osceola Christian, Well, right? I went to um, – I went to Jefferson from kindergarten through eleventh grade. I went to the public schools. Okay, um, and uh, and then in my my senior year, actually a month into my senior year, I I was like I just I went to my dad and says you know I think I want to change. Um, hmm. Most of the kids that I had started school with, even in kindergarten, were gone. Had already left. Um, you know, had a lot of friends that left and either came to school in Tallahassee, went to North Florida Christian or went to Florida High um, and then or went to Osceola. And so it was like, you know, I spend majority of my time when I'm not at school with my friends that go to Osceola. Go other places. Go yeah. other places. So um, I was like, you know, uh, so I, I changed my senior year. You know? Okay. And, uh, That's usually kind of a tough time to transition. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, it wasn't tough for me at the time because I was just like, you know, walking around, I was just like, you know, I just didn't have many friends left there right. at Jefferson. So that. Um, so what was your senior year like at Osceola? <clears throat> um, I guess it was fairly typical, you know. Um, played baseball for really the first time since Little League and my senior year. And Were you a good student? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a pretty good student. I was never a – probably a real applied student. You know, I did what I needed to do to at least stay kind of in the A-B honor roll. So you went to the University of Florida mm-hmm. to study agriculture. Yep, eventually. And did you always know you were going to go to Florida? And was that always part of the plan? And did you 
was being a farmer, was that already in your head when you left or kind of where was your head with all that? I'm wondering if my wife sent you these questions. Um, <laughs> she did not. I have not <laughs> talked to her. You know, I wrote a paper in college English in my senior year in high school that uh, about why I didn't need to go to college <laughs> and that I, you know, I had essentially planned out my life without college. Um, but I don't know. That was the fall of my senior year and by you know, by spring of my senior year. So why did I, you not think at that point you needed college? Because um, I just assumed I was going to farm. Right. And, that uh, you know, I asked my dad and because my dad had gone to University of Florida, got a degree in agriculture. And I was like, so was it worth it? And he was like, well, you know, the, the one thing I learned in college was it taught me how to think. And for whatever reason, I was like, well, I think I already know how to think, so maybe I don't need to go to college. <laughs> but so at that point, at, at one point I was, but then by the time my freshman year got, you know, close to starting college, it never really seemed like an option that I wouldn't go to college. Um, of course, my mom was always, she always encouraged me and wanted me to go to college. Um, but I actually ended up going my freshman year. I went to Thomas, which was Thomas College at the time, Thomas University now, got a singing scholarship and sang in their choral group. Then through that year, I was kind of like, you know what, maybe I want to do music because I'd always sang. Um, we had a really active, our youth leader, he was youth and music pastor growing up through high school. We had several singing groups and I did a quartet and we did an ensemble and we had a choir. And and so that said, what is what had started me singing? And so did that at Thomas College, and then I was like, you know, maybe I don't want to do ag and don't want to farm. Maybe I want to do, maybe I want to be a um, music leader. And so I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, then maybe I'll just, I could transfer to TCC and then go to FSU and study music. A much better choice from my perspective, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Well, of course, part of the problem was, is well, once I got to TCC, you know, that pond got bigger. Right. And I was like, you know what? I'm really not that good. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people who can sing. Right? A lot of people who can sing. And, of course, you know, there was one issue that, you know, might minor, maybe not, that, you know, I even still now don't know how to read music. <laughs> yeah. So Eventually that would be a problem. So eventually probably. that would have been a big problem. Um, and so, but I transferred to TCC nonetheless for my second year, I guess within after that first semester, because I actually did uh, sang in the choral group at TCC also, I transitioned back to wanting to do agriculture, finished up at TCC to do my AA and then transferred to UF from there. Okay. Um, unfortunately, you know, didn't have much counseling or whatnot. And so I did everything I needed for my AA, but I never actually looked at this thing called prerequisites at UF. Um, and so basically by the time I got to UF for a junior, I kind of had to redo a whole nother two semesters. So you earned your undergraduate degree and then you moved to Wyoming mm -hmm. to build cabinets. Yeah. Well, I didn't move out there to build cabinets, but that's just what I ended up so doing. So you moved out there and um, ended up building cabinets. Yeah. I, uh, my second week um, at UF, I had uh, I had made two determinations when I got to UF. Um, it was a January. I was a January student start. Um, one was I was going to read the Bible through in a year because I hadn't ever read the entire Bible, and I was feeling that calling. Um, I was going to read the Bible through in, the, in a year, and then I was going to get involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. Um, at that time, my sister had been involved at FSU, and you know, I was looking for a fresh spiritual start in my life. Right. And so <clears throat> that sec my second week, I, you know, my first week, I just showed up to Campus Crusade to their meeting. They met on Thursday nights in the Gator Room in the stadium at UF. Um, 
first week I showed up and, you know, just walked in and, you know, it was a group of about 30 and met a few people. And then um, the next week we went back and I, I drug my roommate and I was living, it was, that was a whole, that's a whole other interesting situation. I was living on a beef ranch that the university owns, um, tending cattle on the weekends and holidays, but I took my roommate and we went the second week and that's when, and that was 23 years ago last Thursday, and that was the night that I met my wife. I was a junior. She was her. She was a freshman, second semester in her freshman year. We got married um, before classes started our, for her junior year, my first senior year. Um, <laughs> Your first senior year? My first year. senior year. So you moved. I want to get back to the so Wyoming. That, yeah, so we finished, Wyoming. we finished undergraduate. Um, my wife's an occupational therapist. She was not going to graduate until December of 2000, but she was done with all classwork and she had to do internships. So her first internship, um, she got here in Tallahassee, and so we actually moved to, back to Monticello and lived with my parents. She could go anywhere in the country to do her internships. So there was one in Wyoming. Um, and I had spent, I grew up going to out west. Um, we'd go family ski trips, and then I spent, um, did some summer trips out there, and then I worked in Yellowstone, uh, one summer with Campus Crusade. Still, we got out there. Um, it was just phenomenal. You know, my first job was working for this uh, couple owned a furniture store, and I was just their muscle. Um, <laughs> you know, and delivered furniture and rearranged furniture and whatnot. And then I ended up getting a job with a guy at our church um, who owned a commercial cabinet shop. And so I went to work in there and. Um, did you know anything about cabinet making? Um, not specifically cabinet making, but I had done a lot of woodworking. I had taken like three years of woodworking in co in high school and so carpentry. you knew your way around the equipment. Yeah, and yeah. So I mean, I started in there with a broom. That's where everybody starts in a cabinet shop until they know what you can do and sure. trust you're not going to cut your fingers off. Um, but yeah, I did. Uh, I started that and um, progressed up, you know, to where they were. They trusted me to just hand me a set of blueprints and say, "Here, be, build this, build this reception desk for the University of Wyoming." So I did that. We did stuff for University of Wyoming and nice. stuff all over the state of Wyoming. So that was cool. So then, when the internship was over, you moved back. No, we right? stayed. Actually, her internship was. They weren't super long, but okay. um, she finished that, and then we were just like, "Well, let's just stay." So she got a job, and I was doing the cabinets at that point. And so we we stayed out there right out of year. At that point, we had planned on going out there for a short time, and then moving back, and then farming. Um, and then it, while we were out there, it was kind of like you know we were we were doing living the the Wyoming lifestyle, living the mountain lifestyle, backpacking every weekend and just spending time in the mountains. And Sounds great. Oh, it was, yeah, it was great, you know. Um, you know, 20 below was hard, but that was a short-lived. And right. I actually, I wasn't there when it got 20 below. I had to come back to Florida for something, but Tracy enjoyed it. <laughs> but while we were out there, it was kind of like, you know, I was like, maybe I don't want to farm. Um, because growing up, you know, my dad didn't really have time to do anything but work. Um and I kind of knew what I was going back to. And so it's kind of like, you know, maybe I don't want to go back to the farm. Maybe what if I did, what if I go back and get my master's degree from UF and then maybe I can do something else. And at the moment it was kind of like, you know, I could do extension, cooperative extension um, through the university system. And uh, I was like, well, let's see what happens. So. We moved back to Gainesville. So what did you get your master's in? Agronomy. And what is agronomy? Well, agronomy is the science of growing plants in a field. 
So it, it involves everything from your soil health and soil fertility up through plant selection, plant populations, plant pathology. It is the actual science of growing plants, growing crops. So was a master's degree, was that part of your plan or did it allow you to kind of get your bearings on what it, what you wanted to do next? I mean, it was part of my plan um, just to make myself more marketable, right. essentially. And, you know, it was after after we got married that I actually, you know, started enjoying school because my wife was a very hardworking, dedicated student. Um, and, you know, I guess she inspired me to care more. And, yeah, we finished up um, a month before my graduation. Our first daughter, our daughter was born. Um, and then uh, almost immediately, I think even before I was graduated, I had gotten a job with NC State um, and, uh, in Bladen County, North Carolina, to, to be an extension agent. And so we moved up there right, right after graduation. Um, I think I was up there for a few weeks before Tracy and Esther came. And So what yeah. was that like? Did you, did you like that job? I, I liked that job. It didn't pay a lot. Um, which ended up being probably one of the big reasons we had to end up leaving it. But uh, and it was it was great. It was a good experience. Um, I worked with a lot of really great farmers um, up there that uh, that I still have some relationship with. There were some changes going on in the farm, actually in farm policy at the at the national level. Peanuts, dry peanuts. I've always kind of been one of the mainstays of the farm and the profitable our profitable crops, and it still is. Um, but for a long time, they were one of the last crops that were held that were managed under a federal quota program, um, where the federal government, back from the Depression era, actually mm-hmm. dictated how many you, uh, any one farm could grow, and the quota was tied to land. So there was a cap on it. There was a cap on it. You were it was there was a guaranteed income, guaranteed price. um, But if you had this much land, this and this was how much quota was on this land. This is how many you could grow. And so that that didn't go away until two thousand four. And basically, every farm was free to. They basically created a somewhat open market for peanut production. So every farm was able to grow as much as they wanted to. And so that's what really fueled our the financial ability even for us to come back to the farm to be able to expand the farm enough to support another family. So if you had enough <clears throat> land, you could grow more peanuts and you were guaranteed a certain price for those peanuts. At, well, you weren't guaranteed a certain price at that time. So that also went away. Okay. So the price support, um, there's a min- they, they put in a minimum price, kind of a floor price, but it was significantly lower than what the original guaranteed price had been under the quota system. So, yeah, we had a lot more land available than what we could grow peanuts on. So once that quota system went away and everything, we could uh, increase our peanut production three times. Oh. Right out of the gate, the prices were fairly strong, what they called the market price. Right. Um, so that was a good thing. They kind of opened up a, yeah, a window it, for you to come back. Right. You could support your family, make more mm-hmm. money, farm more land, all that. So you became a, a partner in the family business, mm-hmm. Fulford Family Farms, right? Yep. With your dad and your uncle. Yep, and my cousin. And your cousin. Mm-hmm. So my and my grandfather had been. So basically, my dad and uncle had been in partnership with him, and they were Fulford Farms Incorporated since the early '80s. And so, yeah, then my grandfather had retired. Um, he was still alive, but he actually lost his sight in the mid '90s and had kind of had to was forced into retirement. 
And so we reorganized when my grandfather retired and we created the Fulford Family Farms Partnership, LLC. Right. And you did that for about 10 years? We did that for 10 years. Um, And then my dad was ready to retire. Um, So he retired at the end of 2013. And uh, at that time, it was kind of like, you know, just looking at everything. And I was like, well, you know, I think maybe this is a good time. I, you know, I have four kids. My cousin has five kids. And it's kind of like, you know, maybe this is a good time to split things up, divide everything up. And, you know, um, I bought out my dad's interest and then we divided up everything, all of the farm assets and what land we were farming in half. And uh, Tracy and I created our own operating company. And I mean, that's a big switch. So before you were all cooperatively working for one company, right. all farming the same land, mm-hmm. all in one big pot. Right. So now you're splitting apart. You have your own farm. Yep. Run your own farming operation. Right. So was that scary for you or how did you feel about that? Um, I never really felt... Uh, at that point, I never really felt scared about it. Um, I was comfortable enough in what it was and what the operation was and, you know, what it involved. And it, it's interesting how God uses – he uses his word, I feel like, you know, to direct us. The year that that took place, I was – I think I had actually been reading the Bible through it in a year again. and But had when it was really taking place, I was really reading about – Israel coming into the promised land. And so, you know, it's just a very upbeat, very positive time, you know, in in the life of God's people. And so I feel like I I feel like I really got a lot of encouragement from that in order to step out and do this. Right. You know. And I don't want to skip over in 2010, you won a big award, the yeah. Florida Farm Bureau Young Farmer Achievement Award. That's right. That's pretty awesome. It was cool. It was. Um, Farm Bureau has a what's called the Young Farmer and Rancher Program, and it's a leadership program that's two years long, and we had done that. And, uh, you know, um, and it's an award you apply for, and we applied for it, and these are all of our accomplishments, and this is how we've grown our farm and operation, and this is what our community involvement is and yeah. you know and so yeah we we won it and i say i won it but yeah truly it was a it's a Tracy and i won it together so that's very cool yeah so your your family company is fullford six farming that's right right mm-hmm. after you and tracy and the, and the, the four, four kids. kids that's right that makes sense yeah i could do that math are you growing the same crops or did you change that <clears throat> up a little bit um when we divided up the farm how we did it was at the time, we were growing peanuts, green peanuts, cotton, soybeans, and actually grain sorghum. We had land that we could not grow cotton on. And so when we divided it up, I said, basically, okay, I said, well, I'll take all the land that we don't grow cotton on, because that's kind of what I had focused on anyway, was growing you know, the peanuts and grain sorghum and Uh, soybeans. And so it was like, and my cousin took the peanuts, half the peanuts and cotton. Hey, everybody. Just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Fiori Communications. Just like people, every business has a story to tell. And we've been helping our clients tell their story since 2001. Because who you are as a company is just as important as what you do. To learn more about how telling your story can make a difference in your business, visit FioriCommunications.com. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. You know, if I 
look on your social media and stuff about the farm, mm-hmm. it's usually about peanuts, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I guess because yeah, because peanuts are, that's our cash crop. That's right. the one that you know we can has the best margins, the best return. Right. And it's also kind of an interesting crop. I know it can mm-hmm. be challenging. Like mm-hmm. we talked about, it's multi, multi-step, very right. weather dependent. Mm-hmm. Do you run across people who think that peanuts grow on trees? Oh, yeah. You still do. Yeah. I'm like, really? <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't solved that problem yet that people think peanuts grow on trees. But it isn't, I mean, to, to dig it out of the ground. Mm-hmm. So you've got to have the right conditions to to get it out and then let it sit there right. and dry. Right. And, um, I mean, there's a window there, right, where oh, yeah. once they're on the ground, what is it, a couple days? Yeah, or? I mean, ideally you're looking, I mean, probably five days is perfect, you know, but three to seven days is where you want to be for harvesting them, getting them combined off the ground. October is your prime month. We've moved more into September, which gets a little bit hairy, can, because that's, as we've seen the last several years, has been some good hurricane season weather. Right. Um, of course, even in October now, you generally hope those see, that time of year your your rain patterns are going to start drying out. Um, unfortunately, this year they had dried out way too much. Right. Um, it's kind of a fine line, you know. The you know where we are on the Clay Hills, Red Hills area, you know we got heavier soils, and so when it doesn't rain, that ground gets very hard. And so for a plant that you got to dig out from the ground, um, this past year was extremely slow and arduous to get peanuts harvested. I want to move into another and more significant part of your fa- <laughs> of your story and that's your family. But just want to know what what Tracy what she means to you, what what your partnership means and what it's been like to go through life with her. I definitely couldn't have designed a better person for me than Tracy. God definitely put us together as a perfect match. We I think really complement each other. She always has a word to share from the Lord when I need it, words of affirmation and encouragement and or, you know, caution and apprehension. I couldn't imagine being able to do life without her. She completes me. How do you think she likes being a farmer's wife? Because I imagine that regardless of any job she has or her profession or things she's Mm -hmm. involved in, there's an aspect of being living on a farm and and being a farmer's wife that probably has its challenges and yeah. makes life a little different than right typical family. So how well how does she deal with that? I mean, she was very excited about it initially. I mean, when I first met her, um, she actually had Wranglers before I ever had a pair of Wrangler jeans. <laughs> and those are real um, farmer and jeans. And those are right? real farmer jeans. That's right. Um but uh Do they have the crease down the middle? That's right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Gotta be ironed up and pressed and ready to go. Yeah, she yeah. But I mean she grew up in central Florida, Brevard County, Palm Bay. Um and uh but she had family that lived in central Georgia, middle Georgia, that far that one of her aunts had married a farmer up there and so, you know, she had visited and been on the farm and you know, when we met she was just like, Oh, you live on a farm? So she was kind of, you know, um, starry out about it originally. <laughs> but then even, you know, when we moved back from when we made the decision, we talked about it, you know, and uh, when we were leaving North Carolina, you know, and kind of what would be different and could be different. And it has definitely been tough, you know, as our family has grown because it, it's all very seasonal, of course. Planting season runs pretty long and hard. And then it can lighten up a little bit, but really not a lot. 
um, through the summer during when we're maintaining everything um, and then goes into harvest, you know, starting harvest sometime, usually first of September, usually goes through November. Um, And that time, you know, that that gets that gets hard on her because she does generally have to do pretty much everything around, you know, with family and kids. And you also mentioned your four kids. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me about them. <clears throat> Esther is our princess, queen, or, or our queen, I guess, Queen Esther. And she's 16, and she is, she's just, she's amazing. Um, she is smart and hardworking. It's a blessing to, to watch her grow up, and her, her goal is to uh, go to UF. She's she's a she's a great girl. You have boys too, and then we got three boys. Yeah, so we've got the <laughs> just queen. a whole different thing. We've got the queen, and we've got three boys. Um, so yeah, Esther actually lives in the bonus room above the garage in her what we call her 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 tower. Um, <laughs> well, the queen should have the, a tower, exactly. And then the three boys have the rest. We have a second upstairs, and so that that's the frat house <laughs> up there. So fourteen um, year old Gannett, who is uh is our Throwback to Wyoming because Gannett Peak is the tallest mountain peak in Wyoming. So that's where his name comes from. He's uh, 14, eighth grade. Um, He is probably the smartest person I know. I've never known anybody, I mean, even coming through school, who could pick up information as quickly as him. So, I mean, he's just, he's a total package. You know, he's smart and he's fit and he is compassionate and... You know, it's going to have to be a special girl for him. (laughs) But the funny thing is you said, you know, it's going to take a special girl. Well, there's a dad out there with a daughter who thinks he's probably not good enough for her. (laughs) So That's right. But I'm sure he'll he'll win her. He'll win him over Mm -hmm. at some point. But whoever that is. Yeah. All right. You have two more boys. That's right. Thomas and Jesse. So Thomas is 10. Um, and he is our sports nut. Yeah. So he loves particularly all things football. And again, he just, he's so smart. He's so hardworking. Um, I think for all of my kids, um, one of the most blessed things, blessed parts is, you know, that all of them in their, in school uh, kind of have the reputation with their teachers that, you know, if the teacher's going to step out that, you know, they can be left in charge. That's that's a wonderful thing to know about your kids. Absolutely. And then Jesse's our Jesse's our baby. Um, he's of course he's seven, but uh, he's still he's he's the baby of the family, and he is also just a sweetheart and loves to snuggle. And so, do they have eyes on farming? Do they like? Do um, they like being on the farm? Want to probably want to drive the equipment and stuff. Some, you know, they do. Um, I, I think Thomas is the one, the only one that has said he's going to play uh, NFL football and then come home and farm. But um, <laughs> that's a good plan. That's a good plan. Yeah. So, but we'll see. You know, I think they see the way my dad, the way I saw my dad, and it's like, you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard. It's tough. You yeah. know, the amount of effort, the amount of work that it requires to. I mean, there's a romantic it. idea oh, yeah. of farming, right? Right. You know, with the sun setting over oh, the yeah. farmhouse, and right? The, and I know it's hard, but yeah, at the end of the day, you got to. It's got to make money. Yeah. Still, just like everything else, you got to right. you got to produce. Right. <laughs> so I want to take a little, actually more than a little shift here to another part of your life, and that's public service. Mm-hmm. In 2008, you uh, dipped your toe into the political world and um, ran for and won a seat on the Jefferson County Board of County Commissioners. Yep. 
tell me what what was your motivation for uh, running for public office? You know, as far as gosh, you know, eleven years ago now, um, I, I remember when we moved back to Monticello in two thousand four. And I don't know where it really came from at that point, but I was like, you know, maybe one day, well, maybe at some point I'll run for county commission. And then we got involved. We did during that time. We did the Young Farmer and Rancher program with Farm Bureau, and it was very focused on, you know, community involvement and government involvement. Right. And, you know, 2008, the seat was coming open. The guy that had been in it, you know, had served two terms and was was not going to run anymore. And so for whatever reason, I was like, you know, maybe I'll do it now. It's a good time to do it. Um, my uh, my stepdad had spent most of his career doing economic development for the state. That's kind of, I guess, what kind of really connected me to the economic development aspect of it. And just seeing a need, we still needed uh, a need in Jefferson County for diversifying our local jobs and local job base and so, I mean, even then, that was, you know, that was probably my one of my number one motivators was to get involved to um, help economic development-wise mm-hmm. jobs and pr- really just jobs. Um, you know, I love a lot of things, but, you know, I love people first and foremost, and I think that, you know, their need to thrive economically is critical. And so that was – that's a primary motivator mm-hmm. for me. You feel like you've been able to have some impact in that area? Um, I think so. I mean, I think so. You know, we've uh, we'd, we've been able to help um, establish several businesses um, in Jefferson County, and and hopefully more so, it's just about creating a an environment um, that's welcoming to change. You know, there's you run into a lot of people, and even people that businesses that I worked with and stuff that you know indirectly people that associated with them. You know, Jefferson County had a history of not welcoming business. Um, and there were some big, there have been some big, you know, issues and things that probably weren't good fits. Um, like, you know, when they wanted to do a tank farm in Texaco, wanted to put a tank farm in Lloyd and um, and different, I mean, right. bigger things that, yeah, probably weren't a good fit for our local economy, but kind of shutting the door on, the more things you shut the door on, the more you build a reputation of being unwelcoming. Mm-hmm. So so in 2012, you decided not to run for reelection. Yeah, basically between 2008 and 2012 was when the last two boys were born. So we start, we only had two kids when I started and four kids by the time I was done. We'd made the determination to run again, um, and then it was like a couple months later, it was like, yeah, we're uh, – this ain't Like, how are you going to do this? Yeah, we can't. I just right. can't do it. But in 2016 – But then had- 16 came around. The guy um, – the fellow, the guy that had ran to replace me in 12, he had served during um, the 90s and uh, stepped back in, and then it was like, yeah, just one term. That was all he wanted to do, and so the seat was coming back up again, and I was like, well – you know, I, I I guess I don't know if I'm too much of a control freak or what, but I look at it and I'm like, well, if anybody's going to do it, I want it to be me. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, um, yeah. I actually ran against, uh, there were, I think, five people that wanted to run for it. And uh, I had a primary that I had to win. And then the big thing now is to run no party affiliate. Right. Um, to make it into the general. To go straight to the general. Mm-hmm. But uh, that put, we had a Republican, a Democrat, and two no parties. So um, I know you've talked about, you know, economic development being a, 
priority for you. And um, you did receive an award in 2018 from the Monticello Jefferson yeah. County Chamber of Commerce for your work on economic development. So mm-hmm. that must have felt good. Yeah, it did. You know, because we uh, we'd had a nonprofit economic development council in Jefferson County. It's all they they always faced a battle because again, there's there's a contingent in Jefferson County that didn't want growth, and they essentially really didn't want government involvement in business recruitment. Um, I guess if it was going to happen, let it happen. And if not, you know, let's not help it happen. I guess it was in 2016 that that group ended up dissolving. Mm. Um, and the county had been giving them funds for it to help. And and so basically there was, there was nothing. And so um, I asked the commission to, you know, let's keep the money in place, you know, that we were putting aside for that and let me just do it. And so um, I, I kind of took it over and then, you know, have several people that volunteer with me. We're not doing it big time because we don't have a lot of money and we're, we're all doing it essentially as volunteers because it's not technically part of what I have to do as a commissioner. Right. Um, and so, you know, but we're ma- trying to maintain a presence. And, you know, one of the biggest parts of economic development essentially, especially in – you know, in our rural area is, you know, just helping people navigate the process and get through it. And, you know, the county does own property. The county owns the industrial park. Um, And so, you know, we've been trying to get businesses into there. And, of course, since it's county owned, it has, you know, it's county, it's a whole county process. Now, have you said whether you're going to run for re-election? Yeah, I have. I have said that I am not going to run for re-election. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I've uh, talked with, there's already been a couple other guys, you know, that came to me and were like, hey, are you going to run again? And uh, But uh, no, I officially told them, you know, January 1st, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, y'all go ahead. I'm I'm not going to do it. I think, I'm, I think I've had my fill. Yeah. It wouldn't tell the story if uh, we didn't delve into this. And you've mentioned your faith mm-hmm. and how important that is to you and, and a foundation for you and your marriage and your family. Tell me about the role of faith in your life. Growing up in church, you know, growing up knowing all the Bible stories and, you know, even and learning the Bible pretty well as a teen from a perspective, the the idea of not over-spiritualizing things, I think I've actually come to a point that I don't think we spiritualize enough. I have gotten to a point where in embracing God's sovereignty that there's not much that's outside of his sovereignty. You know, that his plan for us to walk in the good works that he has prepared for us from before the foundation of the earth, that's daily. We get caught up in, you know, okay, the Ten Commandments, I follow the Ten Commandments, and, you know, I'm good. And, you know, I've obeyed God. Kind Um, of a legalistic approach. Kind of a legalistic approach. Um, And we we don't dig deep our tendency towards just uh, selfishness and um, putting so many things ahead of God, Um, you know, and even even good things um, ahead of God, you know. And it's like, wow, you know, there's a spiritual implication to to this, to this situation. It's a good segue. We had talked just before we mm-hmm. we came on that from the time I asked you to be on the podcast to now you've had some significant changes 
in your life situation, in your in your farm situation, that um, making you even more reliant and right. and trusting mm-hmm. in God's plan for you. So, you know, again, the, the name of this podcast is how I got here. So right. we're not even knowing a few months ago what we're right. here would be, how much it's changed mm-hmm. in just a little bit of time. Um, just want to know if you wanted to share yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, we're uh, we're in the midst of a life transition for our family. We've been kind of struggling. We've been figure trying to figure out. You know, we've had a couple of pretty rough years farming. At twenty nineteen, you know, twenty eighteen was stressful and then ended up getting by okay. Twenty nineteen, kind of pretty devastating. We had some big number financial losses um, from primarily drought related. And so we had been wrestling with God, what are what are you what are you pushing us towards? You know, are you pushing us to to leave and to do something else? Um to leave this, to leave the farming and do something else or are you just wanting us to endure? You know, are you wanting us to just to trust and to just, you know, keep doing the next thing in front of us. And so that we were we were wrestling with that. And, you know, then, you know, this issue came up related to, you know, the legislation in Florida to create the new toll road. And uh, there was a push within our county to to oppose the toll road because Jefferson County was specifically mentioned in the legislation right. um, as the terminating point for the toll road. And so, you know, I was, you know, looking at it and, I, you know, looking at it because, I mean, that's a it's a big deal. New limited access highway coming into the community um, and what kind of the implications could be, both positive and negative. And so, you know, it, it became a pretty hot topic locally, especially with the people who were opposed to it. And to the point where, you know, it it became an issue that they wanted the county commission to take a position on. You know, none of the local organizations wanted to take a position on it. You know, the Chamber of Commerce wouldn't take a position on it. The city of Monticello wouldn't take a position on it. You know, a lot of division um, as a result. And uh, <clears throat> But there was a, you know, nonetheless, there was a push to have the commission do it, um, and it got it got put in our lap and, you know, put it make just to pass a resolution and uh, oppose it, basically oppose the toll road. And, uh, you know, I had to look at that and I had to weigh, okay, well, what are the implications? It's, you know, it was essentially the resolution was asking the Florida legislature to remove Jefferson County as the terminus county and just let DOT recommend, make a recommendation where the terminus county was. Okay. And so it was kind of like, well, Looking at the positives and the negatives for me, you know, being having a tremendous concern about economic development and job growth and job availability, I, I looked at it and was like, well, we can – this could bring opportunity for Jefferson County. This can bring opportunity to, you know, improve the lives of our residents, you know. And so I had to look at the toll road and I was like, you know – this road will alleviate all – has the potential to alleviate all westbound traffic off of I-75. Anyone coming out of central south Florida that's going west on I-10 will never never have to touch I-75. Part of it is extending the turnpike um, at Marion County over to the Suncoast Connector, which is the one coming up to right. Jefferson County. And, uh, and so you take off all that traffic and it's like, oh, and now we're going to dump them out? We're going to dump that traffic into Jefferson County? And we'll be the first stop when they get off of that road 
it's like that could be big. That right. could be good for us um, economically, you know. And and then you know we've got this contention in Jefferson County that's going, no, we don't want it here. And I'm like, but we need it here. There are people here that need it, and I think we can do it without that big of a disruption. That's where I kind of had finally settled on my personal position and opinion on it. But it was so such a contentious and heated debate, and people got involved, and um, so. There was, uh, you know, one of the landowners that we land we'd farmed for a long time, um, for three generations. Um, they, they wanted me to oppose it. They wanted me to support the resolution and, you know, essentially opposing the toll road. And, you know, when it came down to it, I was just like, I, I, I can't, I can't, in good conscience, say that I think it's better for us to not have it than to have it, um, for the well-being of our community. And, uh, you know, that, that they just ultimately they didn't like that. And so, you know, they they called me a few weeks later and said, you know, you're you're not going to be able to farm here anymore. And, that you know, that was 60, 65 percent of the acres that we farmed, that we leased. Um, we have we basically, you know, we have debt associated with farming and we have enough to farm to pay our debt, but not to live off of. And so. And, you know, Jefferson County, we don't have a lot of cropland. We don't have a lot of farmland left, um, you know, over the last 40 years. Majority of it has been put into pine trees um, or it's held in plantation that's mostly small field, inefficient um, farmland. And so, you know, it's kind of like, well, you know, um, what do I do? We can, you know, we can pick up a few acres here and a few acres there, but, you know, we can't replace. We're talking hundreds of acres. Oh, yeah. We're talking 700 acres. Um, you can't, you know, we can't just pick up 700 acres. And this is a typical arrangement, right, for there to be a landowner and someone to lease oh, yeah. the land to farm it. Oh, yeah. Um, it is. It is um, very, I don't know what the nationwide statistic is, but, you know, more and more of our farmland in America is owned by either, you know, either by private individuals um, some of it's air property. Uh, a lot of it's owned by investment corporations now, you know. And so, yeah, the, a lot of the production, the producers might own a small amount of the land that they're farming, but they're going to be leasing a lot of it. So what does this sudden change do to your family? What position do you find yourself in at this point? Well, I mean, immediately, you know, uh, my wife has not been working in her degree. She's an occupational therapist, so she had been able to work at our kids' school um, at Community Leadership Academy as a fundraiser and community development coordinator. Um, and uh, she really enjoyed that position, um, really enjoyed working with the people there. But, you know, compared to what she can make doing occupational therapy, it was not the same. So she's basically had to resigned from the school in order to go back to working full-time um, in occupational therapy. You know, I, I'm still farming a little bit. You know, I've got still a little bit to do because it's it's hard to just shutter everything, you know, and mm -hmm. get out of everything. So, you know, I'm having to farm a little bit, um, but I'm looking for a career change myself. 
I, I'm talking, I've got, you know, resumes out and, you know, freshening up my resumes and everything and, you know, looking to make a transition. Still not sure what that's going to look like. I'm looking, I've talked with, you know, looking at having to jump over onto the corporate side of uh, the supply side of, of farming. Um, and so we're just still trying to figure out right. where that goes. Where well, it that sounds leads. like discussions <laughs> along these lines may have been starting over the last couple of years as as profits became tougher to come by with some weather-related stuff. Yeah. But now that this has forced your hand That's right. a little bit, right? So now it just puts yeah, a lot this was, I guess, of time you know, pressure. Right. I mentioned that, you know, we're trying to, we kept praying to God and being like, you know, is this, you know, are you wanting us to endure? Or are you just, are you know, are you, are you trying to push us to something new or are you wanting us to endure? And I guess basically when this happened, it was like, okay, I guess you're pushing us towards something else. Right. Um, you know, and so it, we're just trying to still figure out what that something else is. And your faith um, is, you know, this is faith and practice, right? right. I mean, this has got to right. be helping you through this. Oh time. yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you know, he's preparing the path, um, and we're just walking in it. And you know what I think uh, somebody said is, you know, when you don't know what to do, you just do the next right thing in front of you. And so we just keep following opportunities and following leads and waiting for him to put all the pieces together. Mm. Um, he brought a lot of pieces together. Um, to get us to this point, and uh, he'll continue to lay the groundwork for us moving forward. You know, right now, I normally wouldn't be doing a whole lot this time of year anyway, so I get, I think for me, it's kind of still, I don't know if I'm still kind of not fully grasping it because it feels like a normal season Off of change season, for me. Right? Yeah. We're just waiting for those pieces, to, you right. know, to fall back and fall into place and see where God leads us. Well, I appreciate you sharing that even yeah. with the uncertainty of what's going on. And um, I'll be happy to do a follow-up some in the near future <laughs> to say how this all worked out yeah. and how you're enjoying whatever God has for you next, whatever that happens to be. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a little bit of a weird question, but I always end every mm-hmm. episode with, you know, I say the name of this podcast is How I Got Here. And so where do you think here is going to be in three to five years? Oh, gosh. And... Um, <laughs> That's how I end every one. That's right. This is, uh, I know at this point you have no idea. Right. But tell me of something in in three to five years, regardless of what your job looks like, what are you certain of in that you have faith or confidence in that, you know, what your life will look like, regardless of what you're doing for a job in three to five years from now? Well, I mean, in three to five years, you know, I'm going to have in one and two kids in college, two more in upper middle school, high school, and... I'm still going to have my faith and I'm still going to have my family. I'm still going to have my wife. Well, you know, all God willing. You know, what I do, you know, I'm not defined by what I do. I'm defined by God and He is my identity. You know, my identity is not being a farmer. Um, My identity is not being a politician. My identity is in Christ. And so, you know, I do what He puts in front of me to do. Yeah, right now I have no clue what that will look like professionally. But, you know, as far as being in a position to serve God um, and and serve others and love my family, love my wife, you know, that's where I will be. That was Stephen Fulford. In talking about the uncertainty of the next season in his life, it is a good reminder that his future— is really no more uncertain than any of ours, regardless of what we tell ourselves. 
Oh, and by the way, I've lived in North Florida for 36 years and still have not acquired a taste for boiled peanuts. Thanks for listening to the show. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Thanks to my amazing staff at Fiori Communications, who pick up the slack while I'm working on these podcasts, and to Troy Bloom for composing our theme music. You can hear more of Troy's creations on Facebook and Instagram at Troy Bloom Music. To connect with the podcast or suggest a future guest, follow us on social media or email us at podcast at fioricommunications.com.